in Lent, we're in the book of Jonah, we're in a global pandemic, it's all just happening. And uh, I obviously see some of you that I know have been unwell, but have recovered and come back. It's lovely to see you. And then obviously I know a lot of people that are currently unwell and uh, wanted to come, but I said, no, please don't. Uh, that didn't happen. But um, it just is what it is. So uh, if you've had COVID and you've recovered, lovely. If you haven't had it, trust you won't. And it just is what it is at the moment. All right. We're in the book of Jonah. And like I said, we're in the season of Lent. Let me just pray. A Lenten prayer to kick things off this morning. Jesus Christ, Son of the Almighty, in this Lenten season, may your light shine in darkness. May your hand guide in fog. May your shoulder comfort in grief. May your voice still in the chaos. May your peace reign in distress. Holy Spirit, presence of the Almighty, be my eyes in the dark places. Be my flight in the trapped places. Be my host in the wild places. Be my brood in the barren places. Be my formation in the lost places. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah perceived Nineveh as the place of darkness. It was the former capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had overthrown Israel at different times in their history. Uh, everything about Nineveh represented to Jonah uh, hated people, despised people, utter darkness, didn't want to go to Nineveh. And yet God was asking him to go to the place of darkness because that's where God was wanting to do something. Instead, Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish. We had a map a couple of weeks ago. Tarshish is on the other side of the Mediterranean on the coast of Spain. Kind of a Shangri-La of the ancient world, a, a, a trade city, a port city. Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish. Jonah wanted to go to the beach. Jonah wanted to go and hang out in the sunshine rather than go to Nineveh and the darkness. Jonah wanted to escape. Jonah didn't want to have a holy confrontation. In Lent, we remember, though, that there are seasons of darkness, there are moments of darkness, and that if we are attentive to God in those places, they actually have the potential to be a holy confrontation that heals and mends and restores and does wonders in our lives. Jonah's on the run, though. Let me read from chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind, and the sea, and, uh, a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. You know, on a plane, if the uh, flight attendants are shaking and nervous, you should be too. Uh, you know, on a ship, if the sailors are all afraid and crying out to their gods, that you, you should probably be afraid too. Uh, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten up the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. In the ancient world, pretty much anything that happens in life is a result of the work of the gods. And pretty much if it's a good thing, it's because somebody's done good things. And if it's a bad thing, it's because somebody hasn't done the right thing. So there's a storm. So obviously the gods have sent a storm. Let's find out whose fault this is. So they cast lots. Uh, and they, the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Uh, he's a prophet. 
Uh, he's meant to be going 600 miles to Nineveh. He's traveling 3,000 miles to Tarshish to flee from the presence of God. But he's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's a good guy. Stand up, guy. Uh, tell us what kind of work you do. Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So maybe this whole thing that's going on, like I have to acknowledge that my God is sovereign over all of this. Yes. Uh, what have you done? This terrified them. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked them, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the, the, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before. Uh, there's a lot of humor happening in the book of Jonah. If you're alive in a first century, or not first century, prior to that ancient Near Eastern context, hearing this story. The prophet, what do you do for work? I'm a prophet, is fast asleep in a storm trying to escape the presence of God. The pagan sailors are happy to sacrifice to this God, to worship this God. Uh, they don't want to throw somebody overboard. So that the, the pagan sailors are doing everything that is righteous and honorable in the situation. The man of God is not. So, you know, if you're hearing the story, you're like, this is crazy. You know, what else could happen? A fish? Well, yeah, read on. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor happening. Uh, uh, they pray. Lord, they pray to, pray to Yahweh. The pagan sailors pray to Yahweh. Lord. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men, were, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These pagan sailors have come to worship Yahweh. The prophet has come to be thrown overboard. So it's all back to front in terms of what should be going on. Uh, up on the next slide. Verse 17. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Alright, so the elephant in the room. Or at least the fish in the story. Some people are like, seriously? A guy gets swallowed by a fish? But lives inside the fish for like three days and three nights? You want me to believe this you you want me to swallow this story as being true are you for real it's like 2022 like come on we're not we're not believing in this stuff and it becomes an off-ramp for them uh, can for some be an off-ramp not just to the story of jonah it can be an off-ramp to all of scripture it's like scripture is full of these crazy stories you expect us to believe that a, a dude got swallowed by a great fish and lived inside it for three days while eating the other little fish that were in there and then now this this bible stuff is i'm, I'm not not buying that. It becomes an off-ramp. These people are crazy. They're following believing fairy tales. So you've got some people like that. Then on the flip side, you've got other people like, yep, yep, that's right. Fish came. Totally. Fish came. Legit. Read an article in National Geographic in 1983. They, they found a fish that was big enough, literally with an air pocket in it, for a, a dude to survive for, for three days in a fish. Literally would have happened. Totally can trust that. Uh, if you question this story, you're questioning the whole of the Bible. You can't question this story. You run with it. It's the fish. It's legit. So what to do when you have kind of these like polar reactions to what's going on? Well, 
If you spend too much time arguing over whether legit there was a fish or legit, it's just the story, a really funny one. If you spend too much time arguing over that particular part of the story, the big risk you run is missing the whole point of the story entirely. Because uh, the reality is whether there was a fish or whether there wasn't a fish, whether it's a true story or not a true story, the point of the story remains exactly the same. For those first people hearing the story, for us reading it, the point of the story remains exactly the same whether you're with the fish or not with the fish. Um, so you, gotta, you, know, you don't want to be sidetracked by that. Uh, if you want to see the book of Jonah as an historic event that actually happened, uh, yep, it was a whale, it was a big whale, literally vo swallowed him, vomited him up, factoid, right there, you can, you can put that in the bank kind of thing. If you want to go down that path, that's fine, and you can spend your devotional life searching for the great fish of the sea, that's cool. Just don't miss the bigger point of the story that's going on. Uh, the story's not about oceanic wonders, um, just in case you have to give that away for free this morning. Uh, if you want to see the story as an allegory and know that kind of thing can't happen, that's crazy. We don't have to literally believe that a, a whale swallowed a guy and he lived there for three days. If you don't want to go down that path, well, you don't have to go down that path. You don't, 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 don't need to read the story like that either. That's fine. The thing with that, though, is you just want to be careful that that's not dictated by a worldview that says in the salvation history of God, nothing crazy, unpredictable, outside the box can happen. You don't want to go quite down that far down that path. You, it's good to go if you wanted to go. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying that that's a real thing that happened, but you still want to hold on to. It. But in the economy of God, crazy, unexpected, weird, and wonderful things can happen, and I'm not going to write that off. So you don't want to go too far down either path with that. What I particularly think doesn't really matter for this sermon, so we'll carry on. Jonah 1 verse 17. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he books passage on a ship to sail to the other side of the Mediterranean and go to Tarshish in Spain. So Jonah obviously has some means and some resource and some knowledge and some options and the ability to kind of weigh up the situation and, and make a decision. Shall I chart a ticket on a ship to Tarshish? Shall I Go down to Egypt and have a look at the pyramids. They're wonderful at this time of the year. Uh, I hear Queenstown's amazing, says Jonah. The Pinonois delightful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head down to Queenstown. Jonah's somebody with resource and knowledge and understanding and options. Uh, we don't travel in the modern world anymore. <laughs> and in the ancient world, you didn't travel a lot. But not so long ago, traveling all around the world was relatively easy for us. Traveling around the world in the ancient Near East is not something that people did. There's not, it's not like, have you not even taken your family to Tarshish? Everyone takes their family to Tarshish. It's like, no, there's, no one takes their family to Tarshish. Unless you've got some wealth, some means, some resource. And Jonah obviously does, because that's an option for him. Uh, wouldn't have, it's not quite, quite a cruise liner, but uh, it's like us being asked of God to do something. And we go, you know what, actually, there's an Alaskan cruise that is pretty amazing. And you see polar bears. I'm going to do that. So it's quite radical what, what Jonah is choosing to do. There's a great window, a violent storm, a huge fish. And suddenly Jonah's options are no more. He had all these options, wide open spaces, I'm going to do that. Suddenly there is a great wind, a violent storm and a huge fish. And he finds himself without options. He's powerless. 
can't control this situation, can't buy his way out of this one. Uh, we bumped into some people at uh, Rainbow's End one time. Um, big queues to get to the front for the rides kind of thing. And they said to us, oh, well, I asked them if I could just pay more and get a straight to the front of the line ticket kind of thing. It's like, yeah, some people were able to do that. Jonah looked like he was able to do that. And then suddenly Jonah wasn't able to do that. Jonah wasn't able to pay for a ticket to go straight to the front of the line. These wide open spaces have become the confines and uh, claustrophobic hidden realities of the belly of a great fish. Unexpected circumstances. Jonah's Lenten wilderness is the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean. And sometimes we find ourselves in similar places. You ever felt like you've been stopped in your tracks? You ever felt like you've got resource and knowledge and understanding and options and then suddenly the resource, the knowledge, the understanding, the options that you have, have just disappeared and you're kind of hemmed in and feeling claustrophobic and this is what's ahead of you and you can't buy your way out of this one. Can't quick think your way out of this one. This is the moment that's been allotted to you and you can't get a ticket to the front of the line to bypass it. You have to journey through that Lenten moment. Life's like that from time to time. Uh, Jonah had this, this last decision was throw me overboard. He was at least going to determine the way he was going to die. He was going to finish it on his terms. Throw me overboard into the storm and I'll, you know, my life will be taken from me and, and uh, you'll all be fine. And then a whale comes and swallows him. He doesn't even get that choice. It's stripped away from him right at the last minute. Life has a way of doing that to us from time to time. All the resource, all the options, all of the knowledge, and then suddenly we're hemmed in and there are not options and no fast track to escape the situation. We acknowledge that in Lent. Pandemics, wars, sickness, loss of relationship, mandates, restrictions, lockdowns, downturns in the economy, mistakes we make at life. There's all sorts of things that suddenly put us in this restricted, confined, hemmed in kind of space. Powerless where we're used to having power up on the next slide um, in such situations and things like this happen it's amazing the sudden reevaluation that we do it's amazing the sudden stock take we take we make of what is important in life what's valuable in life what counts in life what doesn't what's very important one minute can suddenly become not very important the next minute there's a reappropriation of value in the storm, the sailors are suddenly throwing cargo overboard. The whole point of the trip was not, it wasn't a cruise liner. It wasn't, you know, Jonah booked a passage, but mostly the ship is carrying cargo from one port to another. Mostly the point of the whole voyage is trade and resource and make some money and sell some commodities. And suddenly they're throwing the cargo overboard to lighten the load. Suddenly the very precious stuff that was on board wasn't that precious anymore. We'll throw that overboard. We'll get rid of that. That doesn't matter. That's a sidetrack. That's a distraction. It's not the most important thing. I don't know what it was. Spices, oils, lumber, exotic animals, treasure. I don't know. But, you know, suddenly... Oh, hopefully not exotic animals. That'd be tough. Throw them over. The dodo. The story of Jonah. Uh, you know, suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. Thrown overboard. Same things happen to us as well. We discover that the trinkets, the gadgets, the cars, the houses, the status, the promotion, the acknowledgement that we're looking for in life, suddenly it matters not when we find ourselves in this particular situation. It's these other things suddenly 
take on value. We discover things of far deeper value that often we take for granted. Relationships, family, friends, community, creation, health, integrity, trust, honesty, character. Suddenly when we're in the confines of this hemmed-in space, we realize that these are the things that are actually precious and valuable. These other things that we supposed to be precious and valuable and have their place. Suddenly we've rearranged the table though. The storm causes us to reconsider skewed opportunities, misdirected schedules, even the possibility that we may be spending our life in the wrong direction. Storms comes along and they're, they're an opportunity even to consider maybe I'm spending my whole life in the wrong direction. Because all the accomplishments and all of the accolades and all of the achievements, they can't save us in the storm. We suddenly find ourselves alone. We suddenly find ourselves come to the end of ourselves. No more options. Now just alone with God in the midst of the storm. Left having to trust God. Great wind, a violent storm, a huge fish. Uh, I think on the next slide, perhaps you can put it this way. We want to be saved from the storm. In actuality, we are saved in the storm. We want to be saved from the storm. But in actuality, we are saved in the storm. In the storm, we're saved from a deep-seated trust in ourselves. A deep-seated trust in our own abilities, in our own resource, in our own attempts to make life work for us. Saved from our deep reliance on our resource and work ethic and can-do attitude. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but suddenly in the storm we're saved from putting all our faith and trust and hope into those kinds of things. Find ourselves at the foot of the cross again. In the storm, the worries, the fears, the anxieties, the doubts that we have in life, the ones that we normally try to suppress with the busyness of everything else, in the storm they kind of bubble up. Like driftwood stirred up from the depths of the ocean and cast upon the beach, all of this stuff kind of bubbles to the surface comes into the light. When the darkness comes into the light, the light triumphs over the darkness. We're saved from the very things that we're trying to suppress and not let come into the light. Not, of course, that the storms save us, but rather the redemptive love of God that is at work in every storm saves us. It's not that the storm saves us, it's that the redemptive love of God, when we're attentive to the Spirit in the storm, that love of God saves us, rescues us, redeems us, brings light into our darkest moment. Saved in the storm rather than saved from the storm. Is that really what's going on in this story? Saved in the storm rather than from the storm. Where am I? Let's look at Jonah's prayer. Prayer is different depending on whether you feel like you're alive but dying or dying but coming alive. Uh, Jonah's casket is a fish, his tomb, the depths. The question is, is he alive but dying or is he dying but coming alive? And we, we answer that by looking at his prayer. Dying prayers are quite short. Uh, dying prayers are never articulated well. 
dying prayers, if you've ever prayed a dying prayer, are kind of panicked and hurried. And, uh, and, and uh, you don't, you don't, there's not a lot of words that are used. God, help! God, God, help! Holy Spirit, please! Holy Spirit, please! You know. Uh, this is the greatest church in the world, possibly, to have a medical event. Half of the people here are doctors, surgeons, and nurses, and the other half are old-school Pentecostals. So you're going to get both things happening at once. But the prayers that suddenly take, up, take off, they're not, they're not going to be well-articulated. They're, they're going to be, oh, God help, God help, God help, God do something, God do something, God show up, God help. Those kind of prayers. Uh, Lisa drove Romeo to his first day at Tonga Boys College this year. He's year nine, which is third form. So first year at Tonga Boys College. Took Romeo and took one of Romeo's friends to Tonga Boys College. First day of the year, I was away, so driving them off, these little kids with school bags, you know, twice their size. And uh, Romeo's friend, who's not a Christ follower, prayed the whole way in the car, all the way to, all the way to, from Southern Road, all the way to Tonga Boys College. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Uh, Lisa said to him, man, I didn't know, Dominic, that you were someone that prayed. That, that's, that's amazing. Um, that's the prayer of a dying person. It's not well articulated. It's not thought through. It's just the basics. Just let's get that out there because this, this is not going well. I jumped off the blowhole when I was a lot younger. Uh, 22, 23, so I mean, old enough to know better, but a lot younger than I am now, uh, in a storm. Because it didn't look like it was that bad from up on the rocks. Uh, but when you're just ahead, just bobbing above the, the water, suddenly like 1.5 metres, is quite, that's quite a long bob. And so uh, you, you, the, the wave washes you up to the rocks, and then you, you try to grab hold of the rocks. But they're quite slippery, and so when the wave goes down, you slide down the rocks. And it's kind of like when you get cheese and put it down a grater. Uh, it's that kind of feel. And uh, I ended up with bleeding knees, toes, and fingers. So that was the only thing that was on both sides. That was the only stuff that bled. It was, we got there in the end. But the prayers I was praying in that moment, they were a lot more like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Like, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, do something. Jesus, Jesus, show up. Jesus, send a whale. Send a whale, you know. Those are dying prayers. Jonah's prayer is different though. Jonah's prayer is not that of somebody on the way down. Jonah's prayer is that of someone on the way up. Prayers of thanksgiving, more a prayer of thanksgiving than a prayer of pain. More a prayer of thanks than of desperation. More like my father-in-law at Christmas. He doesn't look at the meal and start praying, Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. No, not my father-in-law. He looks at the spread laid out on the table every Christmas. Looks around the table at the people gathered at the table. And then he begins to pray at the foot of the cross. We go all the way, Lord, we thank you for Calvary. We go all the way back to Calvary. And then we work our way down through the family history kind of thing to land where we are. Because it's not a prayer of a dying person. It's a prayer of somebody coming alive. And Jonah's prayer is a lot more like this. His prayer isn't God, fish, stomach, intestine, bowels, hurry up, do something. It's not his prayer. This is his prayer up on the screen. From inside the fish, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. And he said this. And a little side note, most of these lines can be found in the Psalms. So Jonah's prayer is even, even prompted by his knowledge of the Psalms and things. So he prays this from inside the fish. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me down into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. 
and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I don't know if you've ever been tangled in seaweed, but you, you don't pray like this when you're tangled in seaweed. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred at me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This is Jonah's prayer from the belly of a great fish. If having jumped off the blowhole, I was then in turn to be swallowed by a great fish, I would deem the situation to be getting worse, not to be improving. My prayers in the great fish would not be articulate prayers reflecting on the Psalms, bringing to light the different Psalms that spoke to the situation. My prayer would continue to be the hurried, panicked, desperate prayers of a dying man. But not Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of a great fish, thanking the Lord for his wonders, his goodness, and his salvation. I don't think Jonah's... Oh, I don't think... I know Jonah's not out of the woods yet. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's all clear. I don't think... Jonah, I don't think the situation's quite been sorted. You know, the salvation that you're delighting in, I'm feeling like it hasn't arrived yet from the belly of a fish. This prayer's not that of the dying. It's not a help prayer. It's a prayer of somebody that's been reborn, of somebody that has come alive again, of somebody who has found salvation. He's not being saved from the storm. Jonah's being saved in the storm. He's still in a great fish, about to be the next. I mean, the next movements are, you know, stomach acids. Uh, you've got the good news of the bow ahead of you. You've got that coming up kind of thing. Like, the, 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 you know, the next chapters in the story are not ideal. He hasn't been saved from the storm. He's been saved in the storm. Stomach acid awaits, yet he feels free and light. Feels like the weight of the world's come off his shoulders. Feel like he has stepped into the salvation of God. Storms have a way of doing that when we're attentive to God. When we allow the redemptive love of God to work in our lives in the midst of the heartaches and the pains and the tragedy of those moments where we find ourselves powerless, where you can't pay to get to the front of the line, you can't, you can't swipe the card to escape the situation. You can't you know, engage your quick wit and your fast thinking and your, you know, your great intellect. You just have to write it out. Have a way of bringing us alive to the purposes and the life and the love of God if we are attentive. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. He was saved in the storm and he was ultimately saved from the storm but first he was saved in the storm which of course doesn't mean storms are pleasant it doesn't mean I've said this before it's not like you know we learn so much from the dark times in our life they're the greatest teaching tool we have we don't go praying around going around praying Lord give us more dark times so we can learn more we just like 
just let us go to church on Sunday, have a quick sermon, and then we're going to get tea and coffee, and let's just build slowly but surely. Not suggesting the storms are easy. Jonah ended up vomited up on the beach. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that, you know, vomiting is, this is in the story, so it's not, not trying to, you know, it's not a pleasant experience to vomit, let alone to be the vomit. Like, that's a, that's a whole nother... <laughs> That's a whole nother genre. Like that, that's a whole nother, you know. I haven't walked that path. I don't want to walk that path. But he, you know, I'm throwing up in time to, to be the stuff. Well, that, that surely that is the one thing that's worse. You don't feel good on the other side of being vomited up on the beach. You don't look back and go, that was amazing. We should do that all over again. But you do begin to realize, man, whoa. Out of that I grew to be more whole, to be more wholesome, to be more holy, to be that which God has called me to be. Life coming out of death. So this morning, if you find yourself in a great wind, in a violent storm, inside a huge fish, and we've kind of all been experiencing that over the last couple of years, to, to one degree or another, but then we all have our regular lives that experience that in other ways as well. Find yourself tramped, uh, trapped, confined, hemmed in, stripped of resource, script, uh, stripped of options. Your escape plan is out the window. I love that song that we sing, that real gentle song where there's that line where we give to God our way of escape. Oh, God, can I at least just hold on to my way of escape in all of this trusting you and following you? I do want to just keep my way of escape just open over here. No, no, I give to God even my way of escape. In this Lenten, if you find yourself in that situation, in this Lenten season or any other time, know that the redemptive love of God is ever present. Now, Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8. Upon the next one. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Jonah went down to Joppa. He was meant to go to Nineveh. He went down to Joppa. God was with him. He went down into the hold of the ship to sleep. God was with him there as well. He went down into the depths of the ocean and God was with him there. He went down into the belly of a great fish and God was with him there. And finally he's vomited up on the beach and God is present to him there as well. For you, God will always be present to you. If you're traveling down to Chopper and trying to charter ship to Tarshish, maybe you're trying to do that. Well, God's present. You feel like you've been thrown overboard. God's present. You feel like you're in the belly of a great fish at the moment. God's present. Where can you go to escape the presence of God? You, you can't go anywhere to escape the presence of God. But if we learn to be attentive to God in all situations, we discover the healing, the mending, the restoring, the putting back together. Perhaps your great wish at the moment is to escape the storm. That God would rescue you from the storm. That is an understandable prayer to pray. It's an understandable wish to have. It's an understandable perspective to have. God, rescue me. God, rescue me. God, save me. Driving to Toronto Police College. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, all the way. Makes sense to want to escape the storm, of course. 
you think about a couple of year nine students going off to Tauranga Boys College, I reckon by the time they finish up as year 13s, they probably have grown a lot, learned some things, developed some character, become the kind of young people that they're meant to be, not because of Tauranga Boys College particularly, just from journeying through what in this moment appears to them to be a great storm. I want to go home, I want to go back to intermediate. You can park it into media for four or five years. You're probably not going to grow to be the, the person that you're called to be. Mom, homeschool me. <laughs> May not last your teenage years if you go down that option. But uh, again, you probably miss out on the development growth, the kind of stuff that, you know, the stuff that's overwhelming these year nine boys as they look at, you know. Yeah, I, I remember Romeo told me, he said, um, Dad, I saw one of the dads at the uniform shop, and then I saw him on the first day of school as well. He's not one of the dads. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome to the real world. He's got a beard. So. You, can, you can try to bypass all of that. We're all a bit older. We're all a bit wiser. We've all done our time in college, and it would have been, for all of us, a mixed bag of easy stuff and hard stuff. You realise, I know, son, you got it. You got to go. You got to do those years. You got to go through that. You grow into be. But it's a storm. Rescue me from it. Let me do homeschool with mum forever. It's like, no, mate. Off you go. So it makes sense that we 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 want to avoid the storm. It makes perfect sense. Maybe. Some things never. I, at least it's heckling from the front row. I went from I in my first day of Tonga Boys College. We're 20 minutes in it, and I was in the principal's office. So that didn't go well, so I didn't, I didn't bother telling them that story. That's a whole other story. Shh, babe, shh. It was just the storm, and God was looking to move me from the storm into the belly of the whale. It makes sense to want to pray to escape the storm, of course. And we should. We, we should pray to escape the storm and the confines and the claustrophobia and the field feeling of being hemmed in and optionless and powerless. Of course, bring that to God. We've got to be attentive to say, Lord, save me in the storm as well. Don't let me miss what it is that you're wanting to do in the darkness in my life. Wanting to bring into the light that would actually bring healing, strength, restoration. All that stifles the fullness of God in our lives. Stifles or holds us back from being the holy, whole and wholesome people we're called to be. I want to get out of the storm, but God, don't let me miss the lessons of the storm. Help me to grow through this that I've become who you call me to be. Attentive to God in prayer and scripture and spiritual direction. Let's stand this morning. And I'll close. And